Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is the Hometown Roofing Pop and Pony Podcast. Presented by Hometown Roofing. Put your trust in us. And powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Here's Bob Pompiani from KDKA TV and Andrew Filipponi from 93.7 The Fan. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Pop and Pony Podcast. Bob Pompiani, Andrew Filipponi. We always... Uh, hope you enjoy these conversations with some of the greatest people to have played uh, sports, not only in Western Pennsylvania, but, you know, representing Pittsburgh. And today we have one of the best, Jimbo Covert, uh, longtime offensive lineman who's going to go in on August the 7th, Hall of Famer. And Jimbo, first of all, congratulations. And that's got to make you feel very, uh, <laughs> very proud to be, you know, from this area. And here you go to Pitt and with the Bears, and now you're in the Hall of Fame. Well, thanks, thanks, Bob and Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be quite a quite a um, experience, and and we've uh, waited so long, as you know, because of the, you know, all the issues of the pandemic and just not having people uh, being able to gather that we they've had to postpone from last year. So this year is going to be quite <laughs> quite the party with class of twenty twenty and class of twenty twenty one going in on the same weekend. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Jimbo, how much would you think about um, the finalists and the uh, selection process and stuff year to year? Because we've had Fanica on this podcast, and he almost sounded like it was an excruciating thing to go through every year. And I'm just wondering if if you kind of had the same uh, outlook or, or, or approach to it. Well, I'll try going through it for 25 years. Yeah. Seven or eight years. Um you know what I think in the first couple of years when it when it was happening and I was on the list and then I didn't get to the finalist list uh, or semifinalist list for that matter. Um, you know I think that was kind of um, hurtful. I think from you know just kind of seeing what you know other guys and feeling like you were had you should have had the opportunity or at least you know had your case heard or be you know get, got in the room. And I think that was kind of a little bit frustrating. And then I think there was a time after that that it just, you know, I just kind of didn't really not try to think about it too much. You know, I think it got to a point where, you know, okay, it's probably not going to happen. And then when the senior thing came up, that's when I kind of got a little bit more interested because Dan Pompey is, you know, the writer here in Chicago and he's uh, the voter for the Hall of Fame and said, hey, you have a – a great opportunity. I mean, he was on the senior committee and he says, I, th- I think you're going to get your case heard. And hmm. that's all you can care. If you can get your case heard and you can get in the room, as they say, yep. uh, then, then you have an opportunity to at least have people, you know, hear your case. Cause if you think about it, guys, there's, there's people that are voting that have never seen me play. 
right? I mean, yeah. they're too young. And so how do you how do you explain that to someone that's never even seen you play? And you're so not I a stats position. It's not like somebody could say, here are the numbers. You know what I mean, Jimbo? It's not like, oh, he had, a, he had 100 catches or he had 3,000 yards. It's different for offensive sure. linemen. Sure. And, and I think absolutely. And I also think when the process changed for the centennial class, I think that was really where I had a better opportunity because nothing against the writers, but you know, the writers are just, you know, they're looking at how long you played, what your honors are, especially when you played offensive line, it just said you didn't have the stats, so they couldn't do that. But then when the centennial class came, you know, you had the writers on there. Yeah. The senior guys, but then you had personnel guys and head coaches like Bill Belichick and John Madden. And, you know, you had um, Ozzie Newsome and, and Dick LeBeau and other people and, you know, Carl Peterson and Ron Wolf. So personnel guys, it changed the dynamic. And I think when that happened, then, you know, Dan Pompey felt there was some confidence that, you know, I would have an opportunity and then it all worked out. So, Jimbo, I'm a Beaver County guy from Hopewell. Um, I know that there's something about Western Pennsylvania when it comes to football and the amount of success players have had. I asked this with two things in mind. Number one, what was it about Western PA that made you the player or the person you are? Number two, another Western PA guy was Mike Ditka, Aliquippa. I know you have stories yep. about Mike Ditka. I'd be anxious to hear some of them <laughs> <Sure>. because <laughs> I have my own. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just think, Bob, you know, growing up in Beaver County, as you did, I mean, you know, your parents worked hard. My dad worked at Armco Steel. My grandfather worked there for 44 years. My grandfather, my father for 30, my brother, you know, every male member of my family, all my friends' dads were either worked on the railroad or Valvoline Oil or a steel mill. So I think just that work ethic, um, you know, when you grow up with that and you see that, I think it's just you realize how hard your parents worked to, to give you a better life. And, and, and then you kind of, I think, uh, saw that and said, hey, if this is the way it is to, to get ahead in life, that's what you had to do. So I think it's a lot of that has to, do, to be the work ethic that you kind of learned growing up. And, you know, my dad worked there shift work for 34 years and then he would come home when he would work night turn and uh, take a shower and go out and Sears and Roebuck moving truck for another eight hours. He did that for 20 years. Wow. So, um, you know, when you see that as a kid, you know, it makes you think, Hey, this is, this is what life's about. And I think work, I think gets instilled you at an early age. What about Ditka? I I need a Ditka story. (laughs) Um, well, there's all kinds of Ditka (laughs) stories, uh, that I can tell. Um, but, um, you know, I just think the first one was I never really met Mike Dick. I heard about him, obviously, and there was all kinds of urban legends and things growing up in Beaver County. Yep. Uh, he was such a legend there. But I think the, the first thing was, you know, he was the perfect guy for that job at the time after taking over from Neil Armstrong. I got there in 83. His first year was 82. And I remember when my first crash was in 83. Um you know, in, in the meeting, he comes in, he goes, okay, guys, I got good news and bad news. He goes, good news is we're going to the Super Bowl. Bad news is half you guys won't be here when we do. <laughs> um, and uh, and he really meant that. He yep. just meant there was a lot of guys hanging around, weren't willing to pay the price, and weren't willing to work hard enough to get to, you know, to, you know, he obviously he knew. He had the experience. He, he won the championship with the Bears as a player. He won two as Cowboys and a couple as a coach. And, uh yeah, so, I mean, uh, he knew what it took to, to be a winner, and uh, we didn't have that ingredient then, but we got it pretty quickly after that. Jim, I have a question about offensive line uh, play here because you know, I don't know how closely you follow the Steelers, obviously. You know, you're a Bear at heart. You're going to mm-hmm. go in the Hall of Fame as a Chicago Bear, but they've got all kinds of questions 
about their offensive line. And one of the things that they're doing is they're taking a guy who was a right tackle and they're moving him to left tackle. And he doesn't even really have any competition. He's probably going to be their starter there. In your opinion, is that a big transition? If you've mostly played right tackle and haven't played left tackle, your position, is there a big change there for an NFL player to make? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like night and day. Um, I mean, all your steps are different. All your hand placement is different. Uh, everything you do is completely opposite of what you did on the right side. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the second thing is you play against better players on that on the left side. You're always going to play against, um, you know, the best pass rushers and the best right defensive ends and the best, you know, stand-up guys or linebackers. And that's just a fact. So, um, you know, I think – a lot of people take for granted that they have a guy and say he's playing tackle and, you know, let's just, if he's a decent right tackle, let's move him to left tackle. That's pretty difficult to do. Um, I'm not saying it can't be done. and I'm not saying it can't be taught. Mm-hmm. It's just that um, it, it, it takes a kind of a special person to, to make that kind of a switch. And, you know, I've seen a lot of times happen. It just hasn't been very successful. I hope it's successful for the Steelers. Yeah. And as the guy who's over there as the uh, blindside protector, I'm sure, you know, I've gotten to know Jim McMahon a little bit. I'm just curious about the 1985. Did you guys go to church together, Bob, or would you and McMahon do? No, just we very... played golf up at Mary Lemieux's tournament. You oh, know. okay. Jim, Bo, well, you were there. Have you been there for a few times? Uh, I've been there, yeah. I yeah. Went to Mario it's one of the best one of the best tournaments. There. Anyway, yeah. uh, I have a story about Jim, uh, about McMahon and I. Is it for air? Well, I can tell it, but <laughs> I, you wouldn't want visuals because it was up at uh, Falling Rock and Nemecolon, and uh, you know, he got a little too much, and maybe I did too, and um, we had a thong problem. Uh, he was he was doing some things about thong. I'm going to go in a pool with a thong and challenging me, and I I said, well, I'm, my body, I can't go, I can't do this, but I ended up doing it anyway. We jumped into a pool with thongs on. So I've seen that <laughs> nice. side of him, and I'm just curious. When I saw the 1985 uh, Super Bowl shuffle, I, I, I'm trying to remember what part you had in that and how big was McMahon in that one. That, that was a classic I video. Had, I had no part in that, Bob. I, I realized that Jim did. <laughs> I think Jim and Walter filmed theirs after the fact. That's why theirs kind of looks a little weird when you when you see the video. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I just, they, you know, I talked to Willie, and Willie Gall was the guy that kind of organized and he wanted me to do it. And I just said, you know, um, I just I just had the foresight. I don't know how I did, but I just said, this thing's going to live forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, I didn't want to be dancing like, you know, Steve Fuller and Gary Fensick. Um, and uh, if you've ever seen Fensick had some video, moves. You get that. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so, um <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I never did it, but uh, you know it was a lot of fun. It raised a lot of money for charity, so that was the most important thing. It's the hometown roofing pop and pony podcast, powered by Bowser Chevrolet. How about um, so you were a top ten pick? You know, you you go from Pitt to the Bears. You you play right away. You start right away, Jimbo. How about that whole idea? Because again, to localize things, Steelers are probably going to start a third round pick at center, a guy who played mostly guard in college at Illinois, actually. So, if you could give us some, you know, expert opinion on that transition, what to expect when you go from college football to the NFL, and there's no redshirt pro season, Jimbo. You get thrown right to the wolves week one. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I was so prepared. You know, I played for a guy, a pit named Joe Moore. And oh, yeah. I think he's the, the, best. the best offensive line yep. coach that ever lived. And, you know, he just got me so prepared that, you know, plus with Danny, we threw it, you know, 35, you know, 40 times a game, even in college. And, and we still had, 
you know, uh, Brian Thomas and Wayne Bartolo, and, you know, I think Brian gained a thousand yards in two years each year. So we ran the football, but we had a pretty good, you know, um, quarterback back there, and we threw the ball a lot. And uh, I was prepared to pass block. I think that's the most important thing when you come in as a rookie is, is learning how to pass block. And I think, you know, those repetitions are really important. So, but, but getting in there and starting as a rookie, believe me, is no picnic. And, you know, I started my very first practice at minicamp when I came in there. And, you know, Mike Dicka said, the job is yours. So, um, you know, I never I never um, got something that easy in my life, right, uh, because I had to work for it. But, but, you know, they didn't really have a choice. And so they drafted me to be the starter. And I went in and started my very first practice at minicamp and never left the field after that. And so, you know, I would say the first couple of, uh, weeks were a little bit difficult not physically it was more mentally because what's interesting is we had the dallas offense and um ever since you're a kid and and you're an offensive lineman it's always odd number plays on the left even number plays on the right it's always been that way from the beginning of time Mm -hmm. and every offense i've ever been with but when it was tom when it was tom landry's offense he was the defensive coordinator and he looked at it like a mirror so when you got up there, everything was opposite. So even was on the left, I was on the right. So for six weeks in training camp, I went the wrong way. You know, <laughs> every, every <laughs> and and uh, it was, that was a difficult kind of transition more mentally, just kind of getting the system down. But I'd say after the first five or six weeks, I got pretty used to it and, uh, and was able to do that. So uh, I think coming in and starting as a, as a left tackle in the NFL, or even right tackle in the NFL is a pretty difficult proposition. I think center, you could probably get away with it um, a little bit easier um, if you think about it. Um, you know, they give centers probably a little bit more credit than they deserve. I don't, I'm not, you know, you know, talking bad about centers, but if you think about it, you know, in an even man line, you're uncovered, you're getting help. On an odd man line, you're you're covered. Thirty, thirty-four, you're someone's giving you help. And and calling out where the mic is isn't rocket science. So um, uh, yeah, I think I yeah I, I think um, I think uh, th- th- he'll be able to come in there and, and compete right away at that who, position. Who was the toughest guy you ever faced, and how much success did that person have against you, or you against him? And the best guy I ever played against was uh, Leroy Selman. Wow, I thought he was the best I ever played against, and uh, he was so good at. Um, you know, rushing the passer, he was such a, a good uh, run defender, and um, I thought he was the best I played. And I, of course, I played against you know uh, Richard Dent. He's a Hall of Famer, and and, and, and every day in practice, which made me a great pass protector because if I didn't, I'd get my butt whipped in practice. And then True. Dan Hampton as well, and Steve McMichael, who I think should be a Hall of Famer too. So when you put you see all that that you're playing against every day in practice, it uh, makes the games pretty easy. Jimbo, what makes a great run blocking offensive line or offensive lineman? What are the things, the qualities, the traits in an offensive lineman that can really excel when you're a team that wants to run the ball? Well, I think first it starts with a mindset that you want to run the football. And, and um, you know, I think having a great running team sets up so many things for your offense and allows you to do so many things offensively from a passing game as well. Um, and I think that's important. I think you got to commit to it. And, um, 
and, but I think making as an offensive lineman, I mean, it's all about technique and leverage, and you have to have a, a guy that teaches that. I mean, Russ Grimm was such a great teacher who coached there for so many years. He learned off of Joe Moore and Joe Gibbs, mm-hmm. you know. And there's, there's just, I mean, if you look around the NFL right now and you look at offensive line coaches, this is my personal opinion. I'm thinking there's probably only a handful of guys that teach it the right way and the way I would teach it if I was a coach. Um, and, um, you know, I think the other ones are just kind of okay. And so that's probably why you're seeing maybe some offensive line, you know, techniques, maybe not um, what I would consider kind of Joe Moore-like, which I always look at. And um, that's uh, that's the most important thing for me. you got to have leverage. got to get your hands out. got to get your head back. got to keep your feet moving. And slide and do the things you got to do necessary to block somebody. And I think footwork and hand placement is so important. So how important is the running back? Um, you know, we in Pittsburgh now they've drafted Najee Harris. They the expect big things first round. Uh, their run game stunk last year. They ignored it for the most part. So you say mindset. Okay, let's say their mindset is there. So I always looked as the, um, you know, the uh, offensive line is sort of the jumper cables to a car getting started. Then it's up to the guy to find him. But he, he seems like, and you've had experience with Walter Payton and, you know, some uh, the greats of the game. Is it how important is the back or is it the offensive line first, then the back, or, or how does that work? Well, I think the most important part of a running offense is the offensive line. The most important part of a passing offense is the offensive line. Smoking is a true offensive line. But I think he's I would, right. Uh, it is right. Well, if you can't protect the passer, how are you going to complete any passes? Correct. Right? If you're not blocking anyone, how are you going to run? And so um, you got to have a, you got to have the mindset. You got to have an offensive line that wants to work together hard. It's it's not it's a it's a thankless job because when you um, you know when you win you know it's the running backs uh, uh, to the running backs credit and the receivers and the and the quarterback, and when you lose, it's the offensive line's fault because they didn't get any protection. <laughs> so um, you have to be able to kind of take that mindset, realizing that, um, you know, that's your job, right? And so, um, but uh, I always took, you know, a great satisfaction in seeing, you know, Walter do the things that he did and, you know, Jim do the things he did and our receivers because that's our job. That's kind of the nature of the position. But I think if you got, you got to have a mindset at it and, and you, you got to establish the run in some way, shape, or form, I believe, that you can have a successful offense. Now, things have changed, I think, a little bit over the years because you saw the fullback position disappearing. Yep. Right? Well, the and Steelers are paying one a lot of money, but you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that, right. Jimbo. They disappeared, and the reason they disappeared because it was, you know, third and two, right? They're not going to give it to the fullback anymore. they just rather throw it. Yep. Right. So it it it's things have changed. I think you know, and it's a it, those are just things that have happened over the years. I mean, you know, I think the Giants won one year when they got the you know five biggest guys they could as an offensive line, and just that's when zone blocking really started back mm-hmm. in the late you know nineties, um, and um, and they uh, were successful doing it. I'm not a big zone guy, and I just don't like it, but that's what every team in the league runs right now. And I just I just think it's a crappy way to run. You know, running golf clubs. So. Jimbo, I I said for years here, and when they brought him in, I'm, I said he was the biggest addition they had, free agent signing draft pick by far. And that was Mike Munchak, who was the Steelers' offensive line coach. And he took guys like Al Villanueva, who was a tight end in college and defensive lineman on a practice squad, and would get guys. Uh, Filer who was a Division two player. And he molded them into good offensive linemen. I think he helped big time in the run game, too. 
it sounds like you agree that an offensive line coach among position coaches is key. If you've got a good one, that's a big competitive advantage, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, Mike, obviously a Hall of Famer, a great offensive lineman and great coach. And, you know, you could just see how the Steelers improved that offensive line play when he was the coach. And I think that's important. I think that teaching that technique and getting those guys, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a difficult deal. I mean, it's repetition, repetition, repetition. It's not always pleasant. And it's just, you know, it's hard work. It's hard work because you're doing things kind of unnaturally, right? I mean, on defense, you can play athlete. On defense, you can rush the pass. On defense, you kind of do the things you got to do. But on offense, you got to be disciplined and have great technique. And once you start getting lazy and tired and your, your techniques start, you know, going down, that's when people get hurt. And that's why the quarterback gets sacked. And that's why running backs don't get any yardage. <laughs> so it's discipline and techniques and hard work. And it's, you know, it's hard. And, and you got to drill it. I mean, you got to do it. And that's why offensive line coaches are so important because they're the guys demanding that the kids do it. So, Jimbo Culver, our special guest, we're going to wrap this up the way we started with the Hall of Fame. And I'm just curious, we had Dick LeBeau on uh, not too long ago, and we were asking him, and Andrew asked, "What are you? are you going to write this? Are you going to consign to memory? He has to present Troy. He said, I don't need anything. I'm just going to go with what my stories are about him. What about you? And, and how personal will this uh, speech get, mm-hmm. and how emotional will you get? Well, I think you know when I first when I first got uh, informed um, of, that I got in, you know, it wasn't the traditional way because uh, you know the classes were bigger. And you know, David Baker called me. I was actually in California working, and you know, he called me like four thirty in the morning. So I think you 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 um, you think you can maintain composure in a in a setting like that, uh, but it doesn't really happen. You know, yeah. everything your kind of life flashes before you in one second. You're, wife and their kids, your parents, everything, your teammates. And I just think that's a pretty emotional moment. Um, I'm sure it will be as well. Um, you know, I think the good thing this year is the speeches are going to be cut down a lot. So they're not going to have the ability to stay up there for a long time. And I think it's going to make it much more enjoyable for the people watching on television and the fans and everything like that. So, um, you know, they're looking at like, you know, six to eight minute speeches for everybody on Saturday and that'll be a lot of fun. And, um, so I, I'm definitely not going to shoot from the hip, Bob. I think I'm just I'm going to have to make sure I got something done there because you, you can lose your train of thought up there pretty quickly when yeah. you see a lot of your family and friends I bet. in the audience. Well, we want to wish you all the best. We thank you Absolutely. for joining us. You're one of the legends of the game and we're, uh, very proud to say that you're a, a guy from Western PA who who made it big, uh, and the work ethic, you know, instilled in you from your your family obviously had a lot to do with yep. that. So look forward to August seventh, and I'm going over and under. You're going to break down and cry at one point, Andrew. What do you say? Because it's just to me, it's impossible not to. <laughs> well, if it were you, it, oh, I wouldn't you'd even get start. up there and you'd the first thing. You remember you'd Bill Mazeroski? Uh, oh yeah, he, we had an over. He and threw under. the script out. He, yeah, but he, I said he wouldn't last two minutes. I know him pretty well, and yep. he went a minute forty five. And I went over two. I Did you thought, win some bets off of that? No, I lost. Oh. I went over two minutes. <laughs> he broke down. He couldn't continue. But I, offensive linemen are different. They know. They've been through it all. But we look forward right. to it. Thank you you deserve Jimbo. it. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, you bet. You've been listening to the Hometown Roofing Pomp and Pony Podcast. Hometown Roofing. Put your trust in us. And powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Join us each week for another Hometown Roofing Pomp and Pony Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 